I want to thank all of you who brought your Bibles today to help us commemorate this special day for International Week of the Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible and you'd like, or if you don't even own a Bible, we have a number of these in the back rack there. You're welcome to get up and go find one of those. We've also put some out on the table for the people in the balcony that you like might like to grab one because we're making a couple references to the uh, Bible throughout this message, so please grab that if you'd like. Let me see if I can set the stage for the scene that was just read to you by Pastor Aaron. The people of Israel, they've been in exile for over 50 years. They were taken out of Judah in two major deportations, left behind just a few, the peasants, the uneducated. They were taken to the land of Babylon where they were allowed to live in an area together. They were allowed to practice their religion with certain restrictions. For over 50 years, they went on, and many gave up their faith. They, many of them just intermarried, became a part of the Babylonian culture, but there was a remnant that may, remained true to the faith, kept alive. Matter of fact, probably many of their Old Testament scriptures were written during that time to keep alive that faith in that unsettling time. And then in 586 B.C., Persia conquered the Babylonians, and they set the Israelites free and allowed them to come back home. They came home in three major expeditions, and they were excited. There was a lot of great hope for that time, but they found the going much tougher than they thought. The people that now lived in Jerusalem and Judah weren't all that interested in the Torah and the law and practicing their faith. There were enemies nearby that weren't looking forward to the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, but build them they did. And so Ezra the priest and Nehemiah the governor realized something needed to happen. And so they put together this covenant renewal opportunity. And they gathered the people not in the area where the temple once stood, where only the men would be allowed to hear it, but they gathered near the water gate, area large enough that all the men, women, and children old enough to understand could gather together. They built up a platform so Ezra could be seen and heard by everyone. And here's an interesting fact here. It says that the Levites were spread out among the crowd to explain and instruct. See, the Hebrew Torah was written in a language that not all was spoken by the average person anymore. And certainly some of the vocabulary that was shared might be above the heads of some of the young. Picture, if you will, a a Levite priest in his robes kneeling down to try to explain to a seven-year-old what's going on, what's being said above. And what happened? It says that they wept. They were moved by what was shared. Why would they be crying? Well, perhaps it's because it's been a long time since they've heard the word of the Lord read out loud like this. Or perhaps for some of the youngest, the first time they've heard the word of the Lord read in this manner. For some, they just may be recalling and celebrating that they're now out of exile. And once again, they can freely practice their faith without worry, without restrictions. Or maybe as they've heard the word, they're humbled by how far their lives have gotten away from the word of the Lord. Whatever the reason, they were obviously moved by that experience. Ezra and Nehemiah knew what they were doing. They were helping them restore their identity. 
They were answering the questions of their day. Who are we? Does God still even care about us? And what is our purpose? And so they were moved to realize how far away they'd gotten away from the ways of the Lord. And then they were told, let's not mourn, let's celebrate. And so celebrate they did. They ate together and shared with all who did not have. That was a wonderful celebration. And I would suggest to you that the people of that day might share a certain number of characteristics with our relationship to the Bible today. See, we live in an interesting time when you think about our relationship to our Bible. You've probably heard that the Bible is the best-selling book of all time, I imagine. Did you realize it's the best-selling book every single year? Every year in the United States, 25 million Bibles are sold. Nine out of ten homes in the United States have a Bible in their home. The average home has three Bibles. So you would guess that people are well acquainted with the content of the Bible, right? Not so much, is it? Yeah, a matter of fact, if you survey Americans, uh, less than half will be able to name for you the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Over 60% of Americans cannot even name five of the Ten Commandments. And if you poll Americans, they'll tell you, 82% will say that God helps those who help themselves is in the Bible. And it is not, okay, just so we're clear on that. It is not in the Bible. Uh, that kind of nullifies that whole grace thing, you know. And... They've also revealed LifeWay Research surveyed churchgoers. And the average churchgoer goes to church on a regular basis. 45%, only 45%, read their Bible more than once a week. And one in five don't read their Bibles at all. So you see, we've got two stories going on here. We've got the official story that the Bible is the Word of God. Uh, eight out of ten Americans will say that it is the inspired word of God or it's the literal word of God. We have those superlatives that we apply to it by saying it's, it's God's manual for living or it's God's love letter to us. Uh, we have full of these spiritual gems that we like to share. And that's the official story. But the unofficial story is that many of us as we read our Bibles, find the, ourselves in boredom, frustration, confusion, and struggle to really grasp and engage with it on a regular basis. People will try to start a daily meditation time and, and read their Bibles, and that lasts how long? Maybe a week or two. Uh, we, we do our devotionals, and we get that one scripture verse gem that we have in our heads, and then as the day goes on, we quickly forget it. And so we end up experiencing the Bible and ignoring whole parts of it because we've broken it up in such small parts. So I'd suggest to you that we need a new strategy to approach the Bible. My goal today is not to make you feel guilty about not reading the Bible or how much you read it. I hope to give you a strategy that might make it more meaningful when you do read the Bible. I like how Glenn Paul says, he says that we need to save the Bible from ourselves. He says there's nothing inherently wrong with the Bible. 
but we've not let it be what it was intended to be, and we need to restore its original intent and purpose for us. I love this quote that he shares with us. The Bible needs to be saved because of what it has not become. It has not become a collection of books we know, the narrative we stew in, the words that form us. It has been sold to us in nice, neat packages with cross-references, concordances, notations, commentary, all with the intention of making the Bible easier to understand. But the truth is, the Bible is not easy, and it was never intended to be. The Bible is a challenge, a sizable library with a wide variety of ancient writings collected over a long period of time. We have overcomplicated its form while oversimplifying its content. Now, let me say this before I go on. If you've got a system that's working for you, if you find yourself excited when you open your Bibles and get into it, then by all means, continue to do what you're doing. That's great. What I want to share today is for those of you that struggle to get into the Bible, that find it hard to make yourself open it up, I hope by sharing a few short phrases that have lots of implications, you might find a new strategy that might work for you. So let me suggest a few things. First of all, Try to do less snacking on the Bible and more feasting on the Bible. And let me explain what I mean by that. Less snacking and more feasting. If you've got a Bible with you, open it up and you'll discover a few things. If you've got one of our modern Bibles, then you've probably got notations, you've got scripture references on the side. Those things are all helpful and good. But you'll notice the major thing you'll find in almost all Bibles is that they're broken down according to chapter and verse, right? And that's really a nice tool. It's really great if you're in Bible study together to get everybody on the same page and know where you're at. If you're following along on Sunday morning, it's great to open your Bibles and know what I'm reading. It's a nice tool. It's helpful in many ways for analysis and so forth, but it has some drawbacks to it. Now, you realize this is not how the Bible came to us, right? Uh, Jesus didn't quote out of the Old Testament. Oh, turn to chapter 7, verse 6, right? No, they had scrolls. They read from the scrolls, and there was no breakup. Chapter and verse did not get initiated until the 12 or 1300s. And you know why they were put into place? Because people were engaging at that time in a lot of doctrinal debates. And they wanted to be able to quote their passages, and it was easier to quote if they could tell people where to find them. Because in their mind, if they were, they were going to win this debate, you had to have a longer list of scripture references than your opponent did, or you might lose. And that's what we call proof texting. That's sometimes taking a verse right out of its historical context, making it say something you wanted to say, whether that's what it was intended to say or not. So we have to be careful about chapter and verse. And it has some drawbacks to it, as helpful as it can be in some situations. The problem with chapter and verse is it tends to break Scripture into little bits of information. It, it creates the idea that you can just open the Bible anywhere you want and just point your finger and it's got some great things to say to you without understanding why it was said in the first place. So do less snacking and more feasting, and I think you'll find things much more helpful to you. I, I love the quote by Travis Agnew. 
he suggests to us that uh, we should learn to read the Bible the way God set the table rather than treating it like a buffet line. So let me make this suggestion. I know chapter and verse Bibles are not going away, and you're welcome to continue to use yours when it's helpful. But if you can, go and buy another Bible that is reads more like a novel, where it may have chapters, but they eliminate the verses so that you can just read along and read the flow. And then set aside times in which you read large portions of Scripture, not just a few verses for the day to get you through the day, but block out some time. You don't have to do it every day, but maybe sometime during the week when you get a little free time, sit down and read a whole book of the Bible. Did you realize that you could read 40 of the 66 books in the Bible in an hour or less? 40 of 66. He's got a chart up there that just shows several of those that you can read, some in just a few minutes. So sit down and read it from beginning to end, and you'll see things that you never saw before. Matter of fact, if you would read the Gospel of Matthew, which you can read in two and a half hours, it's one of the longer Gospels, you'll discover something that you'll never see if you're always trudging through one verse at a time. If you read it through quickly, you'll discover that, there are, that this book is highly organized. Matthew really knew what he was doing. And he has broken his book into five major teachings of Jesus. Now, why would he do that? Well, how many books are in the Torah? Five, there we go. There are five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The writer of Matthew is trying to say that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Torah, the law. And you'll never grasp that if you're just stuck reading one verse at a time. So make time to at least once in a while feast on the Bible. Experience it as it was originally shared with us, originally told to us. Second piece of advice I give to you is to discover the story. Wherever you're reading, especially if you're reading a particular verse and you're not quite getting it, Try to find out what is behind, what is the story behind this verse? These, these words were not shared in a vacuum. They didn't come straight from God. They went through a human being who lived in a particular time, in a particular place, and is writing to a particular people. And if you understand that story, you have a much better chance of understanding what that verse or that passage or that chapter is trying to say to those people. And when you hear that, then you have a better chance of hearing what maybe we ought to be hearing or overhearing. I like how Glenn Paul describes it. He says that we need to understand the Bible is written for us, but not directly to us. And that's a very important distinction. The Bible is written for us, but not directly to us. So understand the story behind that verse. But in addition to that, turn to your table of contents at the front of your book. If you're new to the Bible, you're going to want to know this page because that's how you're going to find your place in here in the books of the Bible. And you'll notice something. Now, these books are not necessarily arranged chronologically. Sometimes they are. But there is a order to the Old Testament books and to the New Testament books. And it's important to grasp that so that you begin to learn the overarching story that's throughout the Bible. If you look at the Old Testament, or the First Testament is a better way of saying that, you discover there's a symmetry to these books. Just look at this graphic here. 
You'll find the 39 books of the Old Testament or First Testament. There's 17 books of history and 17 books of prophecy. There are five books of the law, the Torah. There's five books of wisdom and poetry and praise. There's five major prophets. There's 12 books of Old Testament history, and there's 12 books of minor prophets. You see, the canon has got an order to it to try to let us know that this, this is put together for our benefit and to realize that these books build upon one another. And the Old Testament then builds upon the First Testament. It's amazing. I, I think I read that there's over 4,000 quotes and allusions to the Old Testament in the New Testament. Jesus directly quotes the Old Testament 85 times. So they build on one another. And you'll never grasp that if you're only reading these little bits of Scripture. And the last thing I'd suggest to you is to think about how the Bible is written in community. Now stop and think about our passage that we read today. In that crowd that Ezra was reading to, in that group, how many of them do you think could read and write? Probably a very small percentage, right? And yet they were so moved by what was shared, they were moved to tears. They heard the word of the Lord. It changed and transformed them, even though they could not read. I came across my research that one out of four of us didn't read a single book all last year. Now, you don't have to raise your hand if you're one of those. But one out of four. I want to suggest to you that this is good news, that for much of the history of the Christian church, people were shaped and moved by the word of the Lord without even being able to read it. But it means that you need to take advantage of its communal nature, that it was written in community, for the community, and by the community. And therefore, what happened that day in Ezra's reading changed their lives, and that can change our lives too. But it means a couple things. One is, if you're not a reader, then you need to get yourself in a group that at least is going to share the word together. And that's okay. Please don't be embarrassed because of what you don't know about the Bible. I bet you most of the people in the group don't know all that much either. But get yourself in a place that you hear the communal reading of it and realize that's how Scripture has been experienced through most of our history. In Jesus' day, the synagogues kept the Torahs. They, they had them stored away, protected to make sure that they were preserved. And then they were pulled out when people gathered together. That's what Jesus did in Luke chapter 4. They pulled out the Torah and he read from that scroll. In the Middle Ages, where most people didn't read or write, the church was extremely creative. They did street plays. And the church would sometimes put together and do a major production to help communicate the gospel. The early church, the first century church, they gathered together in people's homes and they heard the word and its teachings. So it's not how much you read, it's, it's what you're willing to do to place yourself in that. And, and here's the last thing I want to say to all of us. No matter how well we know our Bibles, there's the temptation because we've broken Scripture up into such little parts that we sometimes just read it as a my private story, my private Bible. There's this me agenda. What does this say to me? But the scriptures were intended to be shared. So do your best when you are together with others to ask the question, what does this say to us? What is we called together to do? 
the job of transforming the world, which is what we're called to do, is going to take more than just me doing my thing and you doing your thing. Sometimes we've got to come together and do it together. And the word of the Lord speaks in that language, calling us together as his people to do what he's called to do. So I invite us to approach the scriptures in a different way, to allow yourself to do less snacking and more feasting, to hear the story that's within it and to see the overarching story and to also make sure that you grasp the community nature of it. And if you don't happen to have a Bible at home, if you're one of the ten that don't have one, please, we want to invite you to take one of these home with you because we want you to get into the Word, to hear the gift that this is to us. It is one of the most important ways that God makes himself known to us. We want you to experience that. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you for this great gift. We're not here to worship the Bible, but we're here to experience the revelation that's found within it. For you do make yourself known in this written word. And as it's heard, help us all know that no matter who we are, we can experience your word in our lives. Open our hearts and minds to it that might change and transform us so that we can change and transform this world. Through Christ we do pray. Amen.